Support for this podcast comes from Invent Together. I bet you didn't know that inventing activity by black inventors peaked in 1899, and it has never recovered. Black and Hispanic college graduates patent at half the rate of white college graduates. That's just one of the reasons why you need to know about Invent Together. When our patent system gets more diverse, our nation will get stronger and more successful. Find out how you can help diverse inventors and unleash economic opportunity at inventtogether.org. This is it. Okay. Yeah, I think so. That's better. Hello. Okay, five, four, three, two, one. Hi, and welcome to The Pollsters. I'm Margie O'Meara, Democratic pollster with GBA Strategies. And I'm Kristen Soltis-Anderson, Republican pollster with Echelon Insights. And each week we bring you the polls driving the latest news in politics, tech, and pop culture. So <laughs> we, we are in that incredible time between the Super Bowl and the Olympics. We have polling for both. Oh, the Olympics is already happening, Margie. Oh, that's right. I watched I some was... curling at very strange hours. <laughs> I have to say, we're going to talk about the Super Bowl a little bit, but it was it was like maybe my favorite Super Bowl that I've been to. Really? Because I watched none of the – I was at a party. I watched none of the game and just enjoy the company and the food. I Watch didn't literally enjoy the game nothing because I didn't care that much between the two teams. But the, the and the ads were okay. I was disappointed in the halftime show. Oh yes, we're gonna talk about that. That made me very. I got a little ragey during that part. We're gonna talk about that. Okay. Okay. What are our top lines? She asked for miracles. Here. I give you the Republicans are asking for miracles. <laughs> They're looking to the FBI and texts and scandals. How there did you find that audio clip? Give it did to you them? remember that? As incredible. Oh, I've had I've had Alan Rickman's voice That's saying good. that in my mind for the last couple of months. Our very full production team came up with that. <laughs> Partisans gonna partisan. We have Nunez, the FBI, and some more polls on this topic. But markets are down while Trump approval is up. Mister Forty Three Percent is he on the move? We will talk about how Americans are feeling about Mr. 43%. Then it is shutdown 2.0 time. We have hashtag go Nancy go as she stands on the house floor talking about dreamers. We will look at the polling around the potential for another shutdown and what voters want to see done about DACA. And then Russia is not at the Olympics, but they are all up in our elections. So we'll talk a little bit about what voters are thinking about Russia. But poll of the week. Super Bowl ads from our good friends at Morning Console. Yes. So, I mean, here's the thing about testing. So here's what's interesting about the Super Bowl ads and all the polling that comes out around Super Bowl ads. There's, we've seen this. We've talked about this in past years is how do you test? Like, what's the, how do you test an ad? Like in this kind of context where you're just kind of comparing a bunch of ads, you're not actually necessarily testing a product or talking to people who buy the product. You're not testing it compared to other ads for the same product. It's not how you would test an ad if you were the internal 
ad firm or internal research firm really trying to help figure out what ad to test, what ad to use. You probably wouldn't test ads the way some of these public post Super Bowl ad polls test them. But with that said, I feel like it's still fun. I find myself so rarely agreeing with a poll finding and I'm I'm totally, I think this is right. I feel like these results are correct. So Morning Consult finds that the number one overall ad was Alexa loses her voice featuring benevolent Supreme Leader Bezos (laughs) um, (laughs) uh, making his debut in a Super Bowl ad. We had Cardi B. We had Anthony Hopkins being creepy. Oh my God, did your Alexa just... Oh my God, your she's Alexa just us. went on. Oh, we said her name and now she's talking to us. Hang on, I gotta, I gotta figure out how to make her shut up. Yes, we're getting the full news brief. Alexa, please cancel. Okay, that worked. Well, now we can't say her name anymore. Wow. Oh, I can't wait for all the people who are listening to this podcast at their house this to has have happened their before. Um, yes. she who shall not be named to start yes, talking I know. to them. You can change the name like to Echo uh, we, or something Chris, else. Chris had changed it to Computer for a um, while, so it's like Computer. What time That's is it? Creepy. Computer. Set a timer for 10 minutes. But uh, but then with that word, we use the word computer a lot. And right. so that was causing problems. So the mm. idea with her name is you're not supposed to be saying it in normal conversation that often, <laughs> except for right now. Well, that ad was the best ad. According to, they had tested three different metrics, overall, entertaining, and effective. And so Alexa, oh, I said it. Sorry, cancel. Don't please don't talk to us. Uh, that one was overall and entertaining, but effective number one was it's a Tide ad. So this one, Margie, you said I didn't, you didn't watch see. it. So I would agree with this. Although the numbers are pretty close, this one and the the Budweiser stand by you, like but oh look, Budweiser, we can put water in cans and save people. Ad that that came in second, right? Very close second though, one one hundredth of a point, right? Uh, but number one, it's it's a Tide ad. So the the way the It's a Tide ad ads worked, for those who didn't see them, is it's each ad starts off looking like it's an ad for something else, looking like it's, you know, one of those Matthew McConaughey ads for Lincoln right. or looking like it's like a Mr. Clean ad or something. But the twist is that like, you know, 10 seconds into the ad, it's not Matthew McConaughey driving a Lincoln. It's the same actor. And he's like, this is a Tide ad. And but so why is that effective? Like what's so the, the first time or two I saw it, I was like, this is dumb. I don't get it. But it's like the fifth or sixth time. And then you start realizing that every ad you see, you're like, is this a Tide ad? Like you're waiting for the end for like, um, is this a Tide ad? Is this a Tide ad? Mm. Is this? And so then your brain keeps going, Tide, 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 and not thinking about Tide Pods, just Tide, Tide, Tide. <laughs> so anyhow. See, because I have been thinking about Tide Pods. Ever since I saw the script that had this, I was like, oh, is this an ad about Tide Pods? <laughs> now that we know, Chuck Schumer finds them delicious. That was my favorite weird news of the week. Chuck Schumer thinks they look appetizing. Um, no, but so that's why it, when they say effective, I actually think they are. If your goal is to get people to walk away from the Super Bowl thinking about your product, the first time, if, if you just watched this ad on YouTube right now, you'd be like, I don't get it. But in the moment, it was like, suddenly by the time you got to the third or fourth quarter, anytime an ad started, it was like, hmm. is this a Tide ad? Uh, well. So I, I think that is, I think that's probably correct. Meanwhile, you know, you had the second most entertaining ad was Touchdown Celebrations to Come, which was an, an ad for the NFL, and it was Eli Manning and Odell Beckham Jr. 
performing the dance from Dirty Dancing to I've Had the Time of My Life, including the the overhead lift. Oh, well, that sounds funny. It was amazing. That sounds, I mean. Effective at what? I mean, it was effective at making me like Eli Manning, and that's new for me. Did it change? That's a new did, frontier. <laughs> but uh, it doesn't make did me. Did it make you feel better about the NFL as a nonprofit enterprise? Uh, no, it only changed my attitude about Eli Manning. <laughs> and I already liked Odell Beckham Jr., so that, you know, that was fine. But, um, yeah, so that's uh, that's that. But there was one other ad there- that made waves, and this was an ad for Ram Trucks, an ad from Dodge. And the ad was an MLK speech, was the background, um, a speech given, I think, exactly 50 years ago to the day from the day of the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. It's a very lovely speech. It's a really moving speech about how you can serve regardless of, you know, you don't have to be a genius. You don't have to know the laws of thermodynamics. Um, You can still serve. Uh, But it is was considered problematic by many on Twitter that a speech by MLK is being used in a vehicle to sell trucks. Yeah. So it, I there mean, was is backlash. it like is it like Kendall Jenner Pepsi level? I you know that I think was that was really problematic, especially when she takes off her wig and hands it to somebody. Like, I mean, that's like. So I think I don't know which is worse. I don't know which is worse. My feeling is that the Pepsi Kendall Jenner ad, they had no idea how tone deaf they were being. For this one, A, I don't think that I assume that Dodge did have many internal discussions about is this going to be a problem and settled on it is a net positive. And this morning consult polling kind of backs that up. So they they asked people, um, do you, you know, did, I don't know if they actually showed them the, oh, they said, of the um, 1,579 U.S. adults they surveyed who had viewed the ad, 48% of African Americans said the ad made them more favorable toward RAM, while 17% said it made them less favorable. Uh, they then said, do you think the ad was, it was appropriate or inappropriate for RAM trucks to use a sermon by Dr. Martin Luther King in its advertisement? Uh, African-Americans were no more likely than the overall population of adults who viewed the advertisement to say that they thought it was inappropriate. And in fact, a majority said they thought it was appropriate, according to this morning consult poll. Um, However, the one area where it does run into the most trouble is, do you find this advertisement to be insensitive to the current issues of race in the United States? Yeah, that's where it gets a little... And that's where you have 34% of African-Americans who say, yes, I did think it was insensitive, though a plurality says, no, I did not. But this is the one where you have the most pronounced difference between African-Americans and the rest of the sample. Well, you know, I did not... So I didn't watch any of the ads, but I did get a little ragey during the halftime show because... I was really wanting, preferring to celebrate Janet Jackson Appreciation Day, which was trending on Twitter because I remember when she, her career took a hit from the last time. The wardrobe malfunction. J, yes, when she and JT uh, did that. And also I felt like his shtick was dated. I'm like, hasn't he been doing this same act since he was 10 years old? Like, I felt like, it's not like I, I have anything against JT. Obviously he's talented and can do all kinds of things, but like, this is just seems like I've seen it a billion times Well, there were, I was not happy with his song selection. Like, there were songs like Senorita, which is a song I loved sophomore year of college. But that was 15 years ago. Yeah. Like, 
I don't know. It just needed uh, a little bit more Janet Jackson. And it wasn't even my favorite song for no, it needed a little years bit, ago. It, like, what yeah. are you doing, guys? Yeah. So I so I was with some bold-faced lady names, but they're off the clock. They were off the clock. I'm not going to out them. And I was, like, trying to, like, drum up some rage, you know. <laughs> I'm like, look at this. And one of my friends said, I did not know about this. And you've kind of ruined the – you've completely ruined the halftime show for me. I'm like, I know. I think you need to put out a statement. She's like, I don't think I need to put out a statement. And I'm trying to enjoy some football. Like, like, can you like, – maybe we should dial it down. But I was like, this is really outrageous. I mean, it – I don't know if – like, I kept waiting for her to come out. And that would have been a really great, like, cool moment. And so we're like, no, we've decided that we made the right call years ago when we decided that Janet Jackson was to blame for the wardrobe malfunction, even though – like, there are some really more egregious things coming out of the White House, but we're going to – this is the message I felt like I was getting from the halftime show. But we're going to just, you know, pretend that we did not overreact about Janet Jackson See, 15 years ago. you were waiting for Janet Jackson, I was waiting for NSYNC. I was like, if the four of them pop up out of the stage right now, uh, I will forgive how much I'm just meh about this halftime show, and I will dissolve into a puddle on my couch. But, uh, that didn't happen, so <laughs> – all right, so let's talk about Mr. 43%. What this is, is a real thing. What is even happening? Donald Trump's job approval up 2.2 points from last week's show. Uh, we, on the Huffington Post pollster average, are showing an approve of 42.8%. This is real. This is not just noise. This is not just... This is a this is a real thing. It's a trend line that's been happening for a couple of weeks. It's still not great numbers, but it's better. Um, and it does not appear that all of the hustle and bustle around Russia is hurting him. In fact, as we have talked about on the show a bajillion times, partisans are going to partisan. So there's some new polling, and this is, I believe, from Huffington Post pollster. Yeah. On how much do you trust the FBI? Uh, if you are a Clinton voter, your trust in the FBI is almost, I mean, just an enormous amount saying either a great deal or a fair amount of trust in the FBI. Let's uh, call it 80. Let, yeah, it, it, 80 roughly. Per, roughly 80%. For Donald Trump voters, it is about a third. About a third. If you had asked this question. A year ago, a year and change. Yeah, like a week before the election. You would, this would not have been the response. I don't think. I think it would have been totally different. I think it would have been Clinton voters going like, Comey letter, hello, no. And you would have had Trump voters like, yeah, Comey letter. That's my Right, and so I guess the question is, right, so this is one of those examples of things where the, you know, the president takes some sort of stance. He's obviously, you know, been very aggressive in how he talks about the FBI. Certainly his surrogates have. And that has changed the views of both Republicans and Democrats, likely, right? Um just like, for example, we'll talk about later, like support for the wall is, you know, got, it has lessened as it's become associated with Trump so strongly and he's become more polarizing, for example. So this is an example of that also views toward Russia and whether or not Russia is an ally or friend or a foe. All those things have now become very partisan in a way that they weren't before. Now, the question is, here's why I don't totally know the answer to is, you know, is everything up for 
this kind of shift or is it thing or is it just views that were not necessarily like super strongly held beliefs to begin with, right? It's not like people spent a lot of time thinking about, no offense to people, FBI, it's not like people spent a lot of time thinking about how they felt about the FBI on a day-to-day basis, and so maybe those views are more malleable. And same thing with Russia. That's something where we saw the numbers flip dramatically. Same thing with trade, which is is an issue that does affect a pretty significant number of people in their their jobs, but I don't know that you could say it is a top-of-mind type issue. And so when you see these things flip, it kind of makes sense. And then when you have these questions later on in this poll about the Nunes memo that came out last week, I mean, this is just partisans gonna partisan, right? You have, do you think the contents of that, that memo, and they ask this only of those who said they had heard a little or a lot about the Nunes memo, which both Trump and Clinton voters were about equally likely to say that they had heard a lot about the memo. Uh, for Clinton voters, about 70% say that this memo did not show that the FBI did something wrong. And another 20 or so percent say uh, they're not sure. For Trump voters, almost 80% say that this memo shows that the FBI did something wrong. I mean, look at this other number. You have about three-fourths of Trump voters say that the FBI is more likely to be biased against Trump than fair or biased in favor of Trump. I mean, you all, you know, not even, I mean, what is this, fewer than 10% who say that they, of Trump voters, think that the FBI is fair to President Trump? And most Clinton voters, when are asked, do you think that the memo is accurate, uh, about 35-ish percent say not at all accurate, and another about 25 percent say it's not very accurate. But for Trump voters, a majority say they think that this memo is very accurate. So we're just living in alternate universes on this, this, these types of things. Right. I mean, it, you know, Quinnipiac shows something similar. There are a variety of polls out now that all Reuters uh, and Politico – Everybody's got a poll on this now, and they're showing similar things. Quinnipiac, do you approve or disapprove of the way the FBI is handling its job? That's just broadly speaking. It doesn't say job doing what. Obviously, the FBI does other things, presumably. <laughs> I know there's a lot to investigate and think about when it comes to Donald Trump, but, and are there other things going on? And um, uh, you know, overall, just half feel that they approve of the FBI. Only 28% of Republicans say they approve of the way the FBI is handling their job. Two-thirds of Democrats say that they approve. They also ask a biased question, and a majority of Republicans feel it's lower than in the Huffington Post poll, but still a majority of Republicans feel the FBI is biased against Trump. Um, Politico asks a question about the memo also. Um, and their question, do you think, based on what you know, that the contents of the memo, are they mostly true or are they mostly false? And overall, about half say they don't know. Um, but you have uh, more Republicans say that they're mostly true. You have about half of Republicans say it's mostly true. Yeah. So, I mean, in, in poll after poll, you've got some Reuters polling on this. You've got some Politico polling on this. But there are just really, really clear uh, – the the only question where there's not a clear divide is, have you seen a lot about this issue? I mean, right. like Morning Consult 1, yeah, about equal number. It's not like a story that – just one side is paying attention to. Right. Um, but the conclusions they are coming to, and I would suggest the information that they are consuming on this question is dramatically different. Right, right. Because, I mean, you can't do primary research on this. You, it's, it's something, it's complicated. People are getting it distilled through various news outlets. Um, there's some other polling about 
Russia that's come out. This is from NBC and SurveyMonkey, I believe. Um, yes, NBC News and SurveyMonkey done. For, Those two right. logos look so nice together. The little SurveyMonkey monkey they, head right next to the I know, peacock. like a little like... And they look like friends. They do look like friends. Like they're the same size and they're, you know, sort of like that, that mod look to it. Um, and there's some part, bipartisanship here, but this is really the, the all, I mean, just even looking at these questions, I think i I mean, I find it very disturbing to even have this conversation and have polling about this conversation. So a majority of Americans feel Russia will, it's likely Russia will attempt to influence the 2018 midterm elections, including a third of Republicans, 80% of Democrats uh, feel that way when they ask it, foreign governments will try to interfere. So that's, more broadly and that's interfere as opposed to influence you have more even more saying it agreeing in that uh formulation two-thirds of folks republicans evenly divided more independents and democrats yeah, you get huge growth among republicans and some growth among independents when you change it from russia to foreign government although there that's not the only change in the wording uh one is influence the other is interfere and i i view those as different things like i think it is clear that russia attempted to influence the last elections but interfere is i think a more like it's when you get into these questions of like okay well they tried to influence it did they meddle well how are we defining you know like the verb does matter i think because certain things that are more aggressive imply like hacking of voting machines which is different than tweeting a bunch of, you know, pictures of Trump as Jesus at people. <laughs> I mean, they're just, they're different right. no, things, they are, right? They like, are. They're different levels of severity. No, you're right. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> and then, but then they, because, but they have a, then a question here, which has a, a different scale. So that also changes things. Country's voting system may be vulnerable to hackers. Are you concerned or are you not concerned? So that's different than likely versus not likely. You could be concerned, but think it's not necessarily likely. Or it's not Putin that wants to do it. Right. You know, since we love Putin now. Right. I it could guess. be just any old, uh, it could just be any old uh, regular hacker. My, fist, my right. beef with the Republican Party. Well, so then maybe the, you know, the language that is unifying is this question, you know, the, uh, the voting system is vulnerable to hackers. There, you know, 69% of Republicans are concerned, 88% of Democrats, they're pretty united. And then on this question, tech companies, are they doing enough to prevent foreign influence? 30% say they're confident. That's it. 68% say not confident. Almost no difference by party on that question. Yeah. This is this is Mark Zuckerberg's night nightmare coming to life. I mean, this is it's it's not great if you're a tech company because you know this pressure is coming and typically you would be able as a big company to rely on Republicans going, well, hey, you're a private company, do what you want. Let the market sort it out. If people don't want to be on a platform that is flooded with Macedonian teenagers pushing crazy conspiracy theories at the bidding of Vladimir Putin, then they'll leave your platform and your stock will go down and the market will fix this. But that is not how Republicans are broadly approaching this, that they are, that like the tech companies are the punching bag for everyone. Yeah. Because then it allows you to punch something that's, it's not just a partisan thing. So- there have been some, so there was a, for folks who listen to the Reply All podcast, which is about like interesting tech stories, they had this very fascinating story about uh, political parties in Mexico mobilizing, you know, folks to do engage in kind of Twitter warfare and 
when they were done trying to influence the election, they would spend their time instead, like if when it was time for them to have a break, they're like, okay, break time. They So then they would, for fun, just like go after individual people. Like if they were to serve on break from like trying to influence the election. So this like poor woman, people should listen to it. So this is like woman who just got into this like crazy like Twitter mob was after her and she had to leave Mexico. It was, it was a terrible story. And then the, um, the, there was a story in the New York times a couple days ago about a PR firm in taking, doing work in South Africa that did online mobilization. So it's not just the U S but when you take, look at this all together, I mean, that is a, that that's like, I mean, that's a hell of a terrifying trend. Yeah. Are you good with people? Maybe you're organized or have a knack for numbers. Well, then chances are you've got skills that could lead to a new career. A Google Career Certificate can help you get a foot in the door with top employers in fast-growing fields like IT support, project management, data analytics, and user experience design. It's professional-level training developed and taught by Google employees. And it's all online so you can learn around your schedule. Put your skills to work. Go to grow.google slash certificates. So speaking of how people are feeling, terrified, concerned, uh, we also have how people are feeling about how the presidency affects their lives. So Gallup has asked some folks, uh, their survey conducted January 23rd through the 28th. Um, they asked Americans, thinking generally, regardless of who happens to be president, how much does the person serving as the president affect the following aspects of your life? So on things like optimism about the future of the U.S., confidence in the U.S. economy. Overwhelmingly, people are saying either a great deal or at least a fair amount um, that is affected by who is in the White House. Satisfaction with the way things are going in the country. 68% of people say a great deal or a fair amount is affected by who is president. But then when it comes to things like your overall happiness or your relationships with other people, people do take a little bit of a step back there. On your overall happiness, it is less than half, or pardon me, around half, 52%, who say that a great deal or a fair amount of their happiness is influenced by the president. And their relationships with other people, that falls to 42%, who say either a great deal or a fair amount is influenced by the president. So I don't know whether to think of that as a lot or... Yeah, is it half full? Is it half empty? I don't know. I mean, because I mean, you certainly hear how people say that there are relationships with other people, how they feel about their relatives, their parents, their family of origin, et cetera, is very much affected by who is president if their family is from a different party. Now, this question is deliberately trying to make you think kind of big picture and vague, but it's hard to answer this question without thinking about Trump. But if this question had been about Trump specifically or trying to anchor people in now, you would have gotten a very different response, I think. Um, it was trying to get people to zoom out. Um, but yeah, the president really affects my overall happiness. Yeah. It's a, like well, I have to like deliberately spend time not thinking about him being president in order to like be able to make it through my day with, you know, laughter and joy because it's that it's that bad. Well, what's tough about this is that it the question is trying to not be about Trump, right? right. Regardless of who is president. And but I, also right now. But, but it's hard <laughs> yeah. to not think about it in yeah. terms of right now. Like yeah. I actually don't know that the 
presidency of Barack Obama day to day had an effect on any of my personal relationships or had an effect on my happiness one way or the other, you know, right. it was, whereas it does feel like this current presidency has its tentacles in people's daily lives and relationships much more. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly does, you know. Which as a limited government person, I don't love. I would mm. prefer for the government not to be yeah. have tentacles in That's things. Right. Get off get off my back, including state, get out of but, our yeah, our subconscious. Uh, and so normal let's, consciousness. Let's go to the other side of Pennsylvania Avenue then. Let's take a little military parade down Pennsylvania <sighs> Avenue. Sorry. It just makes me so I know we mad. didn't even do a section on that. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to that troll you. That makes me so Okay. So let's go down Pennsylvania. See, it affects my sorry. happiness. I know. I'm sorry. Now I'm, I'm unhappy. Sorry. I'm sorry. I'm unhappy again. We're going to talk about uh, the government shutdown that may or may not be occurring uh, and what the prospects are for getting a deal done on the budget and immigration. So first, the big news yesterday was um, former House Speaker, current House Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi uh, stood on the House floor, spoke for a number of hours, giving um, tales of dreamers. I believe as of when we walked in to tape this episode, she had said she would be a no on a budget deal, but was not whipping votes against it. So if Democrats wanted to vote for it to make up for the votes Paul Ryan's going to lose from the Freedom Caucus, they were free to do so. Um, so one of the things that I saw on Twitter from my buddy Mike Shields, who's a Republican consultant who does house races, he loves doing ads that feature Nancy Pelosi as like, like I think he was part of the ads in the John Ossoff race that were like, John Ossoff on a San Francisco trolley because Nancy Pelosi, Nancy Pelosi, Nancy Pelosi. And that's like a strategy that Mike and others in the in the party think is a very effective strategy. And so yesterday it was interesting to see this total divide of like Democrats being like, yes, we're go, Nancy, go. We're so excited. You are standing up and you are speaking for these dreamers who need your voice. At the same time, Republican consulting is kind of like salivating over this. Like, fine, Nancy, you do whatever you want. Shut down the government if you want to. See if it doesn't make it into our ads. It's like two very different views of the situation. I get I'm I'm very unhappy again now because thinking oh, about sorry. it's okay. <laughs> thinking about and it's okay, you know, your friend has just got a job to do. I, the here's where we here's what the ladies on the left say about all the ads about Nancy Pelosi that like there is no other way to explain what the that messaging is other than gendered that there's no messaging that's attached to nancy pelosi it's just nancy pelosi like ta-da the end obviously and so what is the obviously about it is about you know calling her out and making her memorable compared to the rest of you know rest of the folks the leaders that people don't necessarily know who they are because she's a woman and that and that it sticks more because she's a woman and then nancy pelosi god bless like you know goes out and like says what's on her mind and is, you know, true to her beliefs. And regardless of this, like, you know, completely baseless attacks that she gets from the right. Um, and they stick more because of her gender in a way that ladies on the left find incredibly upsetting and, you know, anger, rage making when, you know, uh, you could see here that 
I guess Paul Ryan's numbers are not. I mean, the scale is makes it seem like these differences are more dramatic, I think, than they are in, on this particular chart that we're looking at. But, you know, Paul Ryan's numbers have gotten a little bit worse generally, but they're a little, slightly better maybe than Pelosi's. But her numbers traditionally, if you look at other past speakers um, and minority leaders, have been in line with other folks. So it's sort of this myth of, you know, Nancy Pelosi's numbers that it's not really borne out by most of the comparisons. So Politico and Morning Consult have been doing sort of fave on faves, job approval numbers of these uh, folks. Let me like make sure that I'm getting the, it's, it's fave on faves um, of these folks for quite a while, uh, going back to the start of the Trump presidency. So they have, you know, Democrats in Congress, unfavorable 49%, Republicans in Congress, unfavorable 52%. So not loving either party, Democrats, very slight advantage on, on the fave on fave question. But then they ask about individuals. Mike Pence is the only one in this battery that I see that has a net positive, net positive 44 to 40. I think part of that is that uh, you have some folks that don't know who he is, that don't somehow don't know who the vice president is or don't really have a strong opinion, and that he hangs on to Republicans across the Republican spectrum from the very conservative who might think that Paul Ryan is a sellout to and who hate Mitch McConnell to folks who are, you know, fairly mainstream and moderate who may think, I don't really like Trump, but at least Mike Pence isn't, you know, trying to tweet to get us into war with North Korea or whatever. So Mike Pence is a little more of a consensus pick on the right, which is why I think his numbers are a little better. Chuck Schumer, uh, name ID is not as high as some of these other folks. So his unfavorable is 36%. His favorable is 27. It has stayed fairly flat. Maybe those unfaves have gone up a little bit in the last month or two. Um, Pelosi's numbers have been pretty I mean, her unfaves have stayed around 49%, but that's where she started the Trump presidency. That That is nothing new. Uh, and her favorables around 29%, which is also right where she was during the start of the Trump presidency. The person whose numbers have taken, I think, the biggest hit have been Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell, where at the beginning of the Trump presidency, Paul Ryan's numbers are pretty even. Uh, went through a pretty rough patch there in the middle of last year uh, and has come back to 42 unfave, 36 fave. So he's still underwater. And then Mitch McConnell, poor Mitch McConnell, only 24% faves, 42% unfaves. Again, this is, I think, driven a lot by even Republicans, like strong conservative Republicans, viewing Mitch McConnell as being an establishment kind of guy. And so he's not not their favorite. So uh, Mitch McConnell's numbers are are not they're a, they're about as bad net fave unfave as Nancy Pelosi's. Um, the question is, what is driving that for Mitch McC for Nancy Pelosi? Is her number being driven by independents and Republicans or for Mitch McConnell, his number may be being driven by his own party. Right. Not being a big fan. Right. But, you know, there's very I mean, there's. There is less like hand wringing coverage about Mitch McConnell's favorables or Paul Ryan's favorables, generally speaking. That's my perspective. Well, we'll see if Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan get used in a lot of ads this coming November or if it's just going to be the president. <laughs> <laughs> or all three. Or it could be all look at all these like the issue tracking. And this is just from. From, oh, it's from 17. I was like, this is just the last week. Oh, but it's January for the whole past year. Um, major Democratic swing in who do you trust on a variety of issues. Yes, uh, that you have right now Republicans doing pretty well on things like national security, the economy, slight edge on immigration, slight edge on jobs. But then when you get into energy, 
slight deficit, and then education, healthcare, and the environment issues where Democrats have a pretty big advantage, which is not terribly surprising. Those are issues that Democrats tend to do much better on. In fact, it was weird when there was this brief moment over the last couple of years during all the Obamacare stuff that Republicans made some headway on the health care, but then have proceeded to lose lose that advantage. Right, right. And, you know, there's been some coverage, of the, you know, I think there was the Daily Duo too, and there's some other pieces like, oh, there's been a bit of a narrowing and the generic. We talked a little bit about it last week. Uh, but the stability, if you look at the numbers over the last year, show where you know that this graphic in particular shows a very clear trend. In terms yeah, even of even ours. on an issue like immigration, where Republicans are quote unquote ahead, that advantage has fallen, and get, Democrats have gained seven point five points on them in net change. You know, so it's even on issues where Republicans are ahead, the trend lines have pointed downward across a whole host of issues, which is not great. Okay. So what does that mean for where we go next in the – Well, if there's a this, shutdown and discussion of immigration? I feel like this is another – we're right back where we were last shutdown, which is that each side thinks the other side is going to be politically more damaged by a shutdown, which is why I'm – I mean, I hope we don't shut down, but I, I'm not 100% confident it's not going to happen. So the latest Monmouth poll asks a handful of questions about immigration and then gets into the budget deal – they find 45% of Americans think that illegal immigration is a very serious problem right now. 40% favor building a wall along the border, but 47% oppose. So not the most popular of the president's positions. Um, then they say if you had to choose... 50, yeah, 57. 57, sorry. 57 okay. to 40. Uh, then if you had to choose, what do you think should happen to most illegal immigrants who have lived and worked in the U.S. for at least two years? 77% say they should be given a chance to keep their jobs and eventually apply for legal status. Only 20% say they should be deported back to their native country. So this made this made a headline. I mean, this, you know, it goes to show, right, that polls can show, not necessarily conflicting, but different kinds of things from the same outlet. So remember, Monmouth had that poll on the generic and everyone reacted pretty strongly to that. Um, then you have this poll that shows a pretty strong result in terms of how people feel about DACA. Now, you know, the question wording shows sometimes different. I mean, this is one of those issues that takes a little bit to explain. It's not simply, you know, DACA, yes or no, dreamers, yes or no. You need to give a little bit more information. Um, those polls, though, consistently show you know, there's support for dreamers, but this we should just note that this question explains it in a little bit different way than some others. Um, but it's got a pretty strong result. That 77% is clear. It's pretty but clear to me. But then when we get into the question of what should we do about this, so we, you know, the Trump administration wants to build the wall. The Trump administration wants a deal that would give this path to citizenship for the dreamers in exchange for the, the wall. Uh, I thought this was an interesting question because we know the wall is not terribly popular. We know that the path to citizenship is. So if you merge the two together, then where do people stand? And here we have 47% say they either support or aren't sure, but lean towards supporting a deal of that nature. On the other hand, you have 45% who say they either oppose it or lean toward opposing a deal of that nature and 8% not sure. So extremely close, not a slam dunk for either side, um, whether you support that deal or not. And again, it's because you can oppose it from two different sides. You can oppose it because you think, I want this path to citizenship and I don't want to fund a wall to do it. Or you can say, I want a wall and I don't want to have to give amnesty to dreamers to do right. it. So there's lots of reasons to oppose it from both sides. 
there is not a majority consensus in favor of doing it. Well, here's There's something. There's a plurality consensus, I would assume, in favor of doing right. both. But And then they have a question, should a legislative solution on the status of illegal immigrants be brought, brought here as children be tied to funding or dealt with separately? And there you have 82% say dealt with separately. And that's interesting. However, it is asking people to weigh in on you know, pretty complicated legislative. Right. And it suggests that that, if I'm Negotiation. a Republican, that's a good, that's good news for me, I think, because it means I can say, hey, you guys shouldn't shut down the government over this. This should be dealt with in a separate bill. Uh, instead of, I'm not going to vote for a funding bill that doesn't deal with DACA. On the other hand, uh, they say, you know, the, in, then there's this other question. The current federal budget agreement expires February 8th. Even if you don't agree with their position, do you think it is acceptable or not acceptable for Democrats to say they will not agree to a new budget deal until the status of these immigrants is settled? And 59% say not acceptable. So it's this, the position on DREAMers is in isolation popular, but saying we're going to shut down the government in order to get a solution on DREAMers becomes less popular. Right. Um, you know, this doesn't really give so much of the other side in terms of like what it, what's required to get people to negotiate and come to the table. That part is not explained. And that's where these things get very tricky. Okay. So what's this thing that you said we posted on Facebook? And people yeah, people did not, people did not click on it on our Facebook page. We can Uh-oh. see who clicks on things and who doesn't. However, it does. But we can see who clicks on things? Well, we can't see, we can see how many people like click on. Like how creepy are we allowed to be? Hang we on. can see how many people click on things. We can't see who clicks on things. Um, oh, FYI, just, uh, this is going to be delayed. The Dow is down a thousand right now. Uh, every time we tape, like something goes funky. I just, Patrick just slacked like the whole company, like, um, hey, everybody. Sorry, we can get back to the show. I just felt like. Did, I mean, do you think Trump is going to learn his lesson about talking about the stock market and like as an example of no. his, you know, no. his success? I guess not, right? Think, um, what, what was the first few words of that sentence? Do you think? <laughs> but this seems do you like. Do think Trump is going to learn No, I mean, I know the answer that. to that is always no, yet this one seems like really, you know, this seems like this is a surely one you could figure out. But I don't know. You would think that they would learn less about talking about like, you know, domestic violence, but I guess, or violence in general. I don't know, but they haven't. So anyway, um, this is about, they did an experiment. This is Pew about forecasts versus like aggregation and how people perceive like when they get like Hillary Clinton is, you know, 80% likely to win. How do people perceive that versus the aggregate shows that she has an average of 53%. How do people view those two things differently and vote share versus probability? And they view them quite differently. Now, you know, I know there was some discussion about this during, you know, during 2016 and in the aftermath. And, you know, even as people were kind of moving from 12 to 16, that when you see these numbers like 80% or 75%, 90%, it doesn't mean that that's what the vote share is. That's the person, you know, percent, the probability that's different than what the final vote will be. But, and are people getting those two things confused or are those high numbers simply giving people, 
you know, leading them toward a, not, I guess not a false positive, but more likely to feel confident about these picks than maybe, uh, they would if they just saw a vote share prediction. Um, but it certainly showed that there was a difference, a pretty massive one in how certain people felt about an election outcome. If there was a, if they were given a vote share, they were roughly, you know, just under 60% certain about their election outcome. If they were given a probability, they were almost 70%. Um, there were differences in what they thought the anticipated candidate vote share would be. There was a difference there where if they were given a probability, they were more likely to think that the candidate, winning candidate would get a higher vote share than they did. Um, also a difference in how likely they thought the candidate was going to win. And then there was also a difference in they did some sort of game. And folks should read this. It's a pretty extensive study. They did a whole experiment. It's very interesting. And then if they were shown a probability, they were a little bit, they were given some sort of engagement game to kind of figure out if they were going to vote, like re to replicate voting behavior. And if they saw that in the probability version that they were more likely that the candidates seemed likely to win. It seemed to suppress their chance of pretending to vote in this online game than if they were given a vote share that had no effect on turnout. So does, does this mean that the, like the upshot, uh, you know, spinny needle of doom, like that there's a feedback effect where that sort of thing actually affects vo how voters behave? It could. I mean, you know, it's hard to, uh, I mean, what this didn't do is say, would this affect your likelihood of voting? Like they tried to actually simulate voting in a way to, so you're not relying on self-report here, which is interesting. It's still not the same as you're watching the presidential race. You live in a battleground state or you don't live in a battleground state. Are you going to vote based on, you know, how closely are you following 538 in the upshot? You know, I mean, that it doesn't quite, that's obviously a little bit harder to replicate in a study for Pew, but, um, but it, it, that is what the implication is. And that is just, I mean, it's one thing to have a different perception. If it does change drive vote behavior, that can be problematic. I don't, you know, it, it's something that's worth exploring and, and keeping track of. And I, you know, I don't know what we do about this. I don't know how, like, what do you do with this information? You can't ban probabilities. Um, so, um, <laughs> obviously hashtag ban probabilities. <laughs> this is my new thing. Forget Mr. 40%. I'm like hashtag ban probabilities, ban the forecasters. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's just better to not know really. <laughs> that's the only way that's how, uh, you can go back to earlier, stay happy. Um, but it is, you know, it's troubling, right? It's concerning. It is a, you know, it is, it is worth thinking through a little bit more. So we're going to end the show on, I think, a pretty fun note. The Olympics are here, as I mentioned at the top of the show. We've already had curling happening. By the time you listen to this episode, we will probably be gearing up for the opening ceremonies, if not the live opening ceremonies, the primetime broadcast. The one downside of the Olympics being on the other side of the planet is that all of the fun stuff is kind of happening while we are asleep. Yeah. Uh, or you can watch it live as you stay up late in the night. Forget but, it. But the primetime coverage, you know, kind of has to splice stuff all together. That's fine. It is fine. not going to include Bob Costas this year, which is like, it's it even oh, really? the Olympics if it's not Bob Costas? Why? I don't even know if is it he counts. just, you know, he's just... I think he's just... Had it. Other things. So I think it's Mike Tirico is the main. But uh, the thing that I love about the Olympics is it is Mary Carrillo season. Have you ever seen the Mary Carrillo badminton sketch? No. Oh, okay. As soon as we are done what? taping this podcast, listeners, do yourselves a favor. Google Mary Carrillo 
badminton Athens and watch the clip. It is Mary Carrillo kind of like vamping late at night to like fill time during like a 2 a.m. broadcast of the Athens Olympics. And she starts talking about badminton and it goes totally sideways. And it's the most glorious thing that has ever happened in the history of the internet. Please watch it. And then if you enjoy it as much as I think you will, look for Jonathan V. Last's interview with Mary Carrillo from a few weeks ago where he gets the story behind her badminton rant. It's fantastic. All right. But back to the polling. Uh, this is some polling that was done by, what is this? It's Gallup. Gallup did this poll. Yes. Okay. So we have, do you plan on watching any television coverage of the Winter Olympics? 63% people say yes. Do you plan to live stream any of the content? Drops to 43% saying yes. So about one in five are going to be TV only people. Hmm. Would you be more likely to buy a product advertised? Oh, I really like Mary Carrillo. Now I feel sorry. I oh, you know who yeah, Mary Carrillo is? Yeah, I figure. Yeah, yeah, she's, she's fantastic. She's really And I, you're going to love her even more when we stop recording. I can't and you wait. Watch this video okay. Clip. Okay. Uh, this question, I think, is a garbage question. No offense to the pollsters. Not us pollsters. The pollsters behind this question. Yes. <laughs> Would you be more likely to buy a product advertised during the Olympics? Less likely, or does it make no difference? Oh, wait. This one is not Gallup. There was another Gallup one, which we should also talk about. This one is somebody else. And... Seton Hall sports poll. Okay, that makes sense because Gallup would not ask this question. Would you be say, more or less no, likely? No and offense not to whoever fu- wrote it, but don't. This is not. Yeah, no, that's garbage. This is not a good question uh, because people aren't. No, nobody ever. Yeah, Marty, me. How many times have you sat in a focus group and people are like, "Well, I don't. Po- political ads don't really matter to me." You're like, "Okay, great. Really, this look, it's just biased. I don't let this stuff affect me at all." Right, and so then you go back to the client. You're like, "Guess what? Good news. You don't have to spend any money on advertising because it doesn't matter." <laughs> no, my favorite was. People that are like, um, political ads don't matter to me, and I totally think that they are all garbage and bogus, and I don't let any of them affect me. And then five minutes later, like, did you know that Mitt Romney made a guy buy himself a coffin? He had to build his <laughs> own coffin, and I'm like, yes, tell me again how political advertising doesn't seep into your yes. brain at all. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right, this is the Gallup one. How much of the Winter Olympic Games do you intend to watch? In 2002, the answer was 58%. In 2018, it's 39%. Yes, <gasps> for shame. For shame. Guys, Kim Jong-un's sister is going to be there. It's going to get wa- weird and wild. Uh, you know who we have to blame for this? Oh, no. Millennials. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. 54% of seniors say that they're going to watch it. It's 31% of 18 to 29 year olds. And see, we're supposed to be the ones that are so globally minded. And yet, womp womp. Guys, get into it. Paint your faces for America and get hype. Yeah. The Olympics are awesome. Yeah. Okay. I'm ready. I'm ready for it. What did we learn this week? Uh, Okay. Uh, Hey, there's some partisan views toward the FBI. File under things that don't surprise us anymore. Meanwhile, the presidency affects some of our happiness. Yeah, no kidding. It me, for sure. And speaking of happiness, move over Super Bowl. I am so ready for the Olympics. You can find us on Twitter at, at the pollsters, individually at, at Margie O'Meara and at K. Soltis Anderson. You can find us on Facebook where we post links to the stories we might be talking about in the coming week. And you can find us at www.thepolsters.com. Make sure you tell your friends, leave us a review, let us know what you think. We always love to hear from you. Thanks. Bye.